Good evening. This is Dove Tuzman, and you're back on Equal Footing. Tonight we're going to discuss a topic that, depending on where you're coming at it from, you may find controversial, you may not. Arab Jews, is there such a thing? Can we call ourselves as Sephardim or Mizrahi Jews Arab Jews? Are we a distinct ethnic group? Really? Science may show otherwise. We've got a couple of guests tonight who are active on a global level on this topic. The post-Zionist reality of self-definition of those Jews that were living for thousands of years in North Africa, the Middle East, the Persian Gulf region. You're talking about a community that's been there since the Babylonian exile over 2,500 years ago. We've somewhat tongue-in-cheek entitled tonight's show, The OGs of the Diaspora. And it's true. The Mizrahi Jews, the Sephardic Jews, the Middle Eastern Jews, the Gulf Jews, the North African Jews, it is the first Jewish, Jewish diaspora. Significantly predates the diaspora of the Ashkenazim in Eastern Europe. Also more ethnically diverse, more culturally assimilated, more involved in the sustenance, creation, blossoming of empires, the Ottoman Empire, for many hundreds of years, highly influenced by Jewish communities. There were Jewish counselors to, to the leaders of that empire for, again, hundreds of years. But today, it's a community that almost is non-existent in its original lands. You had over a million Jews in North Africa, Middle East, and the Gulf in as recently as 1960. At least over 850,000 effectively became refugees. Many went to Israel, some to Western Europe, a few, a relatively small number, to North America. That's why in North America, the Jewish community is so closely identified in New York and L.A. and other Jewish centers, Miami, et cetera, with the Ashkenazi community. But increasingly, Israel is not Ashkenazi. Increasingly, Israel demographically is less of a Western country and more of a Middle Eastern country. Okay, I'm going to shut up. I want to get to our guests activists on this topic of Arab Jewry, the Mizrahi community, the refugee community. Eli Abadi is with us from Dubai. I had the pleasure to meet with Rabbi Abadi in Dubai a few weeks ago in person. What a wonderful man. Many of you in the New York area would know Rabbi Abadi as the former head of the Safra congregation in New York. He's now the senior rabbi of the Jewish Council of the Emirates and the United Arab Emirates. Rabbi Abadi is also the former director, director, as I said, of the Jacob B. Safar Institute of Sephardic Studies at Yeshiva University, so an academic posting as, as well. His interest is in academic interest in the topics of Sephardic Judaism and history, philosophy, and comparative traditional law. He's a member of the board of the American Sephardi Federation and the World Sephardic Educational Center. He's co-president of Justice for Jews from Arab Countries. He's a former member of the board and an officer of the Rabbinical Council of America, the RCA. Many other honorifics I could go on with here with Rabbi Abadi. He's such a distinguished man. He's descended from, from a rabbinical lineage dating back to the 15th century 
in the Iberian Peninsula and southwestern France. Following the expulsion of Jews from Spain and later Provence, his family migrated through Italy, the Balkans, Greece, Turkey, Syria, and Lebanon, obviously the modern-day state boundaries, and ultimately in Lebanon, as I said, and shortly after the establishment of the state of Israel in 1948, after which so many Jews in Arab lands were expelled, Rabbi Abadi's parents were forced to, to flee Aleppo, Syria, under pressure from the government. Rabbi Abadi, I know it's 3 in the morning. In the morning there in Dubai, thank you for being on equal footing. Very gracious. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure and honor to be with you today. Oof, your sound is so crisp. It sounds like you'd be, you could be sitting next to us, and I hope the sound will get a little bit better when we're all in studio shortly. Okay, I want to introduce our guest to you. You, Rabbi Abadi, as I understand it, you, you're, uh, you're friends with uh, Eli Sardar, who's also on the line with us here in New York, here in the studio. Uh, Eli is born of one of the oldest Jewish communities in the world, in Aleppo, Syria, where your family, Rabbi Abadi, was also uh, from for a time. Uh, Eli Sardar's family is a Syrian Jewish family for centuries. In 1981, he moved to New York, but his family continued to stay in Syria until a decade later. And for those listeners who are not familiar with the history here, that's very unusual. In 1991, the Sardar family finally was forced to leave Syria for good and joined together in the U.S. and probably one of the last of the Jewish community there. Eli Sardar is an avid activist for Arab Jewish rights, Jewish refugees. We're going to talk about the concept of Jewish uh, Nisrahi refugees and against racism and anti-Semitism that Sephardim and Nisrahi Jews are often subject to. Eli studied Arab history and literature at Aleppo University in Syria. He's now focused on building an organization for Jewish refugees from Arab countries and building educational programs presenting Jews from all around the world. Ellie's married with uh, six beautiful children, five girls and a boy. Ellie, welcome to Equal Footing. Thanks for being in the studio. Hi, thank you for hosting me. Okay, let's get into it. First of all, I, gave, I tried to give a little bit of a history lesson there. I probably butchered it. Uh, Rabbi Abadi, pardon me if so. Give us, a, what, what is the difference, first of all, when someone says a Jew versus a Sephardic Jew? Are they, can you also substitute Arab Jew? What about the Persian Jews, the Ethiopian Jews, the B'nai Israel, and so forth in India? How do we make sense of all this? If you're an Ashkenaz, if you're Ashkenaz listening and you don't necessarily understand how it all fits together, give us a, give us a little bit of a separation and primer here on the history. Well, uh, yes, there's a lot of confusion uh, amongst people, amongst scientists, amongst uh, amongst uh, academics uh, about who to classify and what to classify them. So first and foremost, as you know, Jews are really from the Middle East. Uh, prior to any uh, exile, uh, we were all from the Middle East. Uh, our ancestor Abraham came from, from, from Iraq all the way to the land of Israel, and that's where the Jewish people really developed. Uh, and later on, as you know, went down to Egypt and returned back to the land of Israel and, and developed a, a, a sovereign country that lasted for, for thousands of years. It is only after the, the exile of the Second Temple that the Jews spread, in a sense, throughout Europe, North Africa, and eventually, uh, eventually Spain. Before that, they were all in the Middle East. Now, even after that uh, a diaspora, 
Jews did remain in the land of Israel and in the Middle East, including like the area of Syria, Lebanon, uh, and Egypt, and of course Iraq, which they have been there for even hundreds of years, even before. As the Jews spread throughout the Roman Empire, because the exile of the Second Temple was due to the Roman Empire that destroyed the Temple and they exiled the Jews from the land of Israel, the Jews who went to Rome, many of them spread north north of, uh, of, of Europe to Eastern Europe eventually, and some of them spread Western Europe all the way to Spain from the time of the Romans. That's one spreading. The other spreading took place from the south of the land of Israel to Egypt. Some of them went down to the Saudi Arabian Peninsula, and some of them went through the north of Africa. Uh, when Islam came and conquered North Africa, the Jews spread with the Muslims all throughout North Africa, all the way to, to Morocco, and even crossing the, the Gibraltar Strait all the way to Spain. Now, they have been... Now, uh, Rabbi Abadi, I'm going to pause you there for a sec, because I think it's important to understand that when people talk about Jews in the Arab world, uh, the Arab conquest of much of this region doesn't actually occur until between 1,000 and 1,300 years ago. So... The Jews really predate, uh, if I understand things correctly, ethnically uh, Arab communities in these areas, even though in modern day, you know, today we consider these Arab lands, but the Jews, in fact, also the Coptics and other tribes predated the Arabs in in, in these regions. Uh, There's even, first of all, let me ask you, is that correct? Am I right? That, that is absolutely correct. I mean, historians have dated Jewish communities in Morocco and in Spain, even from the time of King Solomon, which we're talking about 3,000 years ago, uh, long before long before the Arab conquest. Uh, so, yes, Jews have been in North Africa, and so the Arabian Peninsula, North Africa, even in Spain. As I said, some historians dated back even to the time of King Solomon 3,000 years ago. Another batch uh, got there uh, got there after the destruction of the first temple, which is 2,500 years ago. 2,500 years ago, when the Jews went to Spain. Right. So, Eli Sardar, I want to get you in the conversation here before our first break. So, you hear the term in, you know, in Hebrew, Yehudim Maravim, there's, the, there's the, the, you have Arab Jew, which actually is now often considered, a, many people find it derogatory, but the history of it is not derogatory. The history, actually, of people self-identifying as Arab Jews that dates really to the beginning of the 19th century, principally, in the Arab nationalist movement and the dissembling, the disassembling, I should say, of the Ottoman Empire. Do you feel, talk to us about the term Arab Jews. Do you feel comfortable with the term? If you don't, why not? And why has it become for so many derogatory? Yes. Uh, hi. First of all, uh, you know, uh, sorry, maybe I still have an accent because I just came from Syria like uh, 1980 and I didn't know any English uh, before. So uh, it's exactly like, like the rabbi said, uh, the Jews in the Arab lands predated the Islam or the Arabs there. So actually we are part of the mosaic, what you call it, of the Arab land because the Arab land used to have a lot of minorities. We are part of this minorities. So after the the Arabs spread and uh, conquered all this land, you know, we work hand in hand with the with the Arabs to translate a lot of uh, 
books uh, from from Greek, from other things. That's what helps also even the Arab civilization to prosper. And also we have, you know, more peace and more, uh, you know, uh, prosperity ourselves. So it's, inter- it's like the, the relation between Arab and Jews is like from thousands of years. Even predated, uh, there's, I once, I read even predated that. So we consider ourselves part of the Arab society or mosaic, you could call it. We're not Arabs, but we are part of the Arab culture. So it's not really derogatory, but now because everybody's against Arab or something, they may use it, but we, we are part of those mosaic. We're not Arabs, but, but we are part of the Arabs in cultural sense. So I want to ask you, though, directly, because part of the, the, the issue we're trying to tackle in the show is the question of assimilation. There's, we've had several shows, a couple of shows at least recently, on uh, the rebirth of Jewish communities in parts of the Middle East, most notably uh, places like the United Arab Emirates, where Rabbi Abadi is joining us from tonight, uh, Qatar and elsewhere. There's even a synagogue being built that Rabbi Abadi is consulting with uh, with the uh, government in Abu Dhabi. And, and we talked about this renaissance, but at the same time, there are folks that, that, that really get their hackles up when you hear when, when they hear the community referred to as, as, as Arab Jews. And I want, Eli Sardar, I want you to explain to the audience wh- how you feel about that term and why that, why that term is important or, or isn't. It's not, it's not that important. Like I said, we are part of the mosaic of the Arab culture. Arab is not only Arabs. It's a lot of a minority there. And we are also, in the, originally, we are Arabs. Uh, like, you know, the Hebrews and the Arabs, they are very close. We are like cousins anyway. So this is not like real issues. The real issues is, you know, in 19, mostly from 1947, the Arabs governments, which they were backward at that time, they expel, they expo, they expel all the Arab community, community there. You used to be, like you said, almost eight to nine hundred thousand Jews in all Arab lands. Arab lands. They all expelled. They all. This is this is a real tragedy. So the things now, like when I feel like now we really, really rebuilding this relation. This is really very important issues. We, we even we been expelled from this land. We feel. We still feel. We are part of this culture. We love this land. We like to go there. We like to really reestablish our. It wasn't our community there. It wasn't fair when we've been expelled. It was like real big act of anti-Semitism where they 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 expel us. They burn our shul. They burn our sefer Torah. They. It, it it was really dark part in the history of the Middle East. The actual things now. The, even the Arab now, the moderate Arab, I, I call it, they start to feel like they make mistakes. They're trying to make it up, which is this is the right things. Because if something hap- something wrong happened, we need to correct it. In even our Jewish uh, tradition, like we call it tikkun, like if something happened wrong, we have to fix it. Yeah. So, so now they're really trying. Some Arab start now, you know, especially in Dubai and other countries. They're starting to understand, like, really, they did something wrong when they expelled us. It's really even hurt them. So yeah, that- and you had, you, and, and pardon the interruption, but, you, you know, we're going to take our first break in a moment, but it was really fascinating, Ellie, in the pregame for tonight's show, 
looking at some of the speeches in 1947 and 1948 in the United Nations, when you had a discussion in the General Assembly about the creation of the State of Israel, and you actually had a number of representatives to the UN from the Arab world, Egypt, Morocco, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, and elsewhere, that were expressing their, what seemed very heartfelt concern at the time, around their uh, Jewish citizens, and the fact that they foresaw uh, a deterioration of the relationship between non-Jews and Jewish, as they saw, Arab Jews in their, in their, in their countries. And I was reminded, I mentioned this on a show uh, several weeks ago, my great uncle Avrum, who migrated from Poland to Israel in 1933, or the, the state that would become Israel, uh, he would talk about fight, what he described as the first intifada, fighting alongside, uh, Arabs and uh, Palestinians against the British to help um, in some of those uh, militia units to realize independence. And I think it's important to understand uh, that uh, this Arab-Jewish conflict uh, that exists really as a function of the last like 80 years is a really new phenomenon. In fact, much newer than the conflict between Christians and Jews, <laughs> frankly, uh, in, in, in the region. We're going to take our first break. We're here with uh, Misrahi uh, and refugee activist Eli Sardar. I'm here in studio with him in New York. Rabbi Eli Abadi, who's on the line with us in Dubai. You're on equal footing. We're talking about the uh, the OGs of the diaspora, the Misrahi Jewish community, the over one million in 1960, one million Jews that lived in North Africa, Middle East, and the Gulf. You can participate in this conversation. If you're Ashkenaz and you just want to ask a question you've always wanted to get uh, off your chest, you've got two great historians and, and academics here to talk to about it. If you're Sephardic or Mizrahi, call in and give us your perspective, especially lived experience from from the region or your family's lived experience. You can call 718-303-9090. That's 718-303-9090 to be connected live. You can also... Text a question or comment into 917-428-4062. That's 917-428-4062. We'll be right back. Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. Keep it on, keep it on. 
All right, you're back on Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tuzman. I'm here in the studio in New York with Misrahi, refugee, Jewish activist Eli Sardar. And on the line with us in the middle of the night, or early hours of the morning in Dubai, uh, my friend Rabbi Eli Abadi. We're talking about the Misrahi Jewish community. And in one of our conversations prior to the show, uh, Eli Sardar, let's go back to you for a sec. You talked about how you wanted to make the point to listeners that the refugee issue in the region is a shared issue. It's a both a Palestinian and Jewish issue. What do you mean by that? Exactly. Uh, that the point, like every historian or everybody ignored it, I think, <laughs> because bias against the Jews. Because in, anytime any refugees happen in the world, the whole world got up in arm and helped them. They helped their Palestinian refugees. Now they're helping the Ukrainian refugees. But when we expelled from the from the Arab lands, nobody helped us at all, zero. So this is really uh, something wrong in the history of uh, of the world, even. So it really has when something like I said before, something wrong happened. It has to be fixed for the for everything to get uh, correct. So we are. We feel the pain of the Palestinian refugees, but nobody feel the, our pain. We suffer a lot. We lost a lot. We lost all all this community. It's been there for thousands of years, but they all gone. All their property, all their business, all their everything there. So anybody talk about it? Nobody talk about it. I think one of the reasons, because there is always bias against the Jews. It's kind of anti-Semitism. Rabbi Abadi, I think one area where you and and Eli Sardar uh, may differ a little bit is your view of how we should be living alongside today, or at least a lived experience today, of a you're you're a, a Jewish person living in an Arab land. You're living in the UAE. Um, how do you think we should be Collaborating as a people, as a Jewish people, with with uh, with Arabs, frankly. How, how, what what's what's your view from a social political perspective on cooperation? Well, let me let me just uh, need to clarify regarding the definitions. Is it Arab Jew, a Sephardic Jew, or an Ashkenazi Jew? Uh, just for your listeners to understand those dynamics, and then I'll answer the other question. So, so the diaspora that it occurred two thousand years ago, as I was saying, created basically three. Uh, different uh, Jewish group. The Ashkenazi Jewish group of Northern Europe. Ashkenazi in Hebrew is Germany, and so they were called German Jews, but in reality it encompassed uh, all the Jews from Poland, from Eastern Europe, from Russia. They were called Ashkenazi Jews. The Jews that, that were in Spain and were there for over 800 years before they were expelled in 1492, they became known as the Sephardic Jews. Sephard in, Spain, in, in Hebrew, Sephardad means Spain. And so they formed these two groups. And then you had in the Middle East and North Africa, Jews that were known as the Mustarabin. Mustarabin, they were the, what's called the Arabist Jews, the Jews that lived amongst the Arabs and learn from their culture and commingle, commingle that culture. When the Jews from Spain were expelled in 1492 and the Jews from Portugal 
were expelled in 1497. Those Jews, many of them went back to North Africa, went back to the Middle East, went back to Southern Europe, and some of them even ventured to Northern Europe, to, to the Netherlands, to England, to Poland, to even Russia. Some of them even arrived to Iran. So when they arrived into many of those places in the Middle East, all the way including to Iran, and some of them even to India arrived there, they found the Mustarabin Jewish communities, the Jews that lived amongst the Arabs for uh, millennia, and they instead kind of overwhelmed them with their culture and with their cultural, religious, and ritual influence. And so therefore the Jews, the Mustarabin, the Jews living in the Middle East amongst the Arabs, became also known as Sephardim, as Sephardic Jews, even though they never stepped in Spain, not them and not their ancestors, but they mixed with them that they overwhelmed their culture and they became known as Sephardim. That's, the and that's one of the reasons why we really wanted to do tonight's show, because there is, right. for, for in most Jewish, at least not your average Jew in the United States. Let me put it that way: is not going to understand that distinction, and it just just knows you know the the two major groupings of Ashkenazim and Sephardim, and as you've just right. said, it's very subtle distinction. But I want to there there are lots of uh, rather subgroupings. But I want to go back to that that core question: you are well, well, an observant Jewish person living in the United Arab Emirates. What is your view today, April two thousand twenty two, on the from a socio political perspective on cooperation and cohabitation between Jews and Arabs in the Arab world, not in Israel. Right, right. So so again, so the term Mizrahi really never ever existed until the nineteen fifties. That term was coined by the second president of Israel, Yitzhak Ben Svi, who was a socio ethnographer researcher. And as he researched the Middle Eastern Jewish communities, Iraqis, Egyptians, Syrian, right, Tunisian, he decided that they should be called differently than Sephardim. They should be called Mizrahim, Easterners. So that this is, term re- this was is never very used. interesting for listeners. This is a recent term then, a Mizrahi term. Yeah. Mizrahi term actually, is only 1950. Right, it actually postdates. The, the term Arab Jews, which began to come into usage, as I said at the outset of the show, as part of the Arab nationalist movement as the Ottoman Empire was starting to fray in the early 19th century. And so it's, it, 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 it has since been appropriated and often people see it as derogatory, but the, 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 the term Arab Jews, Ehidum Arabim, is, is, is actually significant, significantly predates semantically and epistemologically the, the term Mitzrahi Jews. Uh, absolutely. Uh, the term is rise, I said, from the 1950s and has nothing nothing to do with, with, with anything before. Now, calling an Arab Jew, it, they were called Mustarabin, the Jewish communities living in the Middle East amongst the Arabs that never went to Spain or to Ashkenaz, to Europe, were known as the Mustarabin, which means we're known as the Arabist Jews or the Jews amongst the Arabs. Now, of course, you have to decide what's, the Arab, what's an Arab. So an Arab, is it an ethnical group or is it a cultural group or is it a nationalistic group? So Arabs really are the descendants of Ishmael, the second son or the first son of Abraham, actually, who really lived in southern Jordan and all this, the, 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 the Arabian Peninsula. They were the real only original Arabs. 
The Egyptians are not Arabs. The Syrians are not Arabs. The Iraqis are not Arabs. Mm-hmm. The Moroccans are certainly not Arabs. Mm-hmm. But after the Arab conquest and the Muslim conquest, many of them mixed with the local population and bringing Arabism or Arab culture plus Islam. So now you have Arabs going from Morocco all the way to, 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 uh, to uh, Iraq. But the true ethnographic Arabs are only the, 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 the people that live in, in the Arabian Peninsula. I appreciate the, Jews, the education that, but Rabbi Abadi, I won't, before we hit our next break, I really want you to answer my question. You, you are an observant Jew. I just saw you in Dubai in person a few weeks ago. You're an observant Jew. You used to run the Safra congregation here in Manhattan, and you're living in the United Arab Emirates. You're consulting with the government of Abu Dhabi in the construction of a big synagogue there. What is your view on how should we, as as Jews of Middle Eastern and uh, North African and descent, should we be returning to the region? Are there are there open doors? Do you do you do you think that's a good thing? Absolutely, we have we have cooperated with with our cousins, the Arabs, for centuries and millennia. Uh, we have lived amongst them, as I said, and we have always cooperated. And now we are coming back. So as as Ellie uh, mentioned, uh, that there were almost a million Jews were expelled from these Arab countries because of the establishment of the state of Israel. The coming back is really something very, very normal because we belong to the region. We have been in the region for thousands of years. It's not something strange. And so now that the Arab countries are welcoming us back, it's kind of a vindication that, in reality, we made a mistake in expelling you. We made a mistake in persecuting you. We made a mistake in, in taking away your, your possessions and your property. And so coming back, for me, on a personal level, having been born in Lebanon, my parents from Syria, they were refugees, they were expelled and imprisoned. Coming back is to reestablish the presence of the Jewish communities in Arab lands that have been here for before even the Arabs existed or Islam existed. And so, yes, okay. we cooperate together, we work together, because at the end of the day, you know, some people say we are cousins. We are more than just cousins. Ellie, we are really brothers. Ellie Sarah, here, here in the studio, do you agree with Rabbi Abadi? I mean, your family was literally kicked out of Aleppo, Syria. You guys hung on till the, the bitter end. Can you even imagine going back and to live in the region? As I said before, uh, even we suffered a lot, like maybe we suffered more than uh, Rabbi Abadi uh, recognized because he left, er- his parents left earlier. But we born there, I left when I was 20 years old. So I witnessed a lot of discrimination, a lot of suffering. It's, uh, but we still, but we still love this country because we born there is our motherland we still speak arabic here even in new york after 40 years like with my friends i still speak arabic yes yeah, your first language it's my first language and i love it it's not like uh, is really there's no conflict between arabs and jews you know we've been I, in history I, always we we've been together hand in hand we built even we helped to build the arab civilization like I said before, through a lot of, uh, first of all, through translation of the ancient book of Greek and Roman to Arabic, those old, the Jews, uh, 
they did it in the beginning. Yeah, even, we're going to need to take our, these, our, our first break, but I, I really want listeners to hear, you know, the 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 the, the passion with which you're speaking here, Ali, here in the studio. I can looking at you as I'm saying this. It's it, you can really feel it, and I and I think and I hope someone will listen to this recording, number of years hence, ten, fifteen years hence, maybe even earlier. And what may seem naive today, in terms of the you know that we're cousins. That Arabs and Jews were cousins, certainly genetically cousins. We'll get to that after the break. We already had a listener See, write in. Very on that. It, it, I don't think. It, I, hopefully, it will not be in, in. It'll not be seen as as naive. And you are seeing a renaissance of the relationship, a relationship that have both of you guests have pointed out goes back thousands of years. It's, we'll be back in a minute on equal footing. We're here with Misrahi Jewish activist Eli Sarda, Rabbi Rabbi Eli. Abadi calling in from Dubai. You can participate in the conversation, 718-303-9090, or text, that's to participate live, or text a comment or question to 917-428-4062. We'll be right back. Equal Footing is brought to you in part by DocuVax. DocuVax is a very easy-to-use digital medical locker system that you can access on your laptop or your smartphone, both on Android or Apple. And you basically take all your medical files, you put them, download in whatever format you have. Uh, they could be JPEGs or PDF files. You download them onto the app. You can find the app on your uh Smartphone app store at DocuVax. That's D-O-C-U-V-A-X. And once you download the information, doctors and nurses review it. They validate anything you need like a vaccine or preventative screening result or serology. That is a blood test result. And they can give you uh, references to see a specialist or whatever. It saves you money. It saves you hassle. You got to get your medical files organized. You know, a lot of uh, something like 60% of Americans can't even identify their own allergies and blood type. I'm a pet owner. I feel like I know I'm more apt to get a reminder that my pet needs a vaccine booster than for me, for some, you know, other than, than uh, coronavirus vaccine, of course, other uh, boosters that I need to get or screenings that I need to get. And so you got to get your uh, medical information uh, updated and sign up for DocuVax. It's cheap, $6.99 per month, gets you 24 by 7, 365 day a year access to DocuVax's medical professionals. And the data is secure. It's HIPAA compliant. It's only accessible to you. You can share certain elements of your medical profile with a healthcare provider or an insurance company or even to get into a venue if you have to show vaccine status by using a proprietary QR code based system, but you don't have to share any, any information that you don't want to. So you just share, uh, you know, your, your medical status without sharing your birth date or your civil status or even your full name. Sign up for DocuVax, D-O-C-U, V-A-X. And if you want to get group discounts, if you want to sponsor a number of employees, if you're a small business owner, you mentioned that you heard about it on equal footing and you can uh, get special group discounts by calling 833 833- Eight five nine one nine three three. That's eight three three eight five nine one nine three three. Sign up for DocuVax. Operators are standing by. I've been caught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on and I've been told. Now you're back on equal footing, and we are talking about 
Arab Jews. We're talking about more recent term, Mizrahi Jews, the Jews that have lived in the diaspora and become refugees, but originally were living for thousands of years after the Babylonian exile in North Africa and the Middle East and the Gulf. All right, we're going to take a caller in a minute. But uh, Eli Sardar is a Mizrahi activist. His family was originally from Aleppo, Syria. Is here in the studio with me, Rabbi Eli Abadi, who's a friend, and he's based in in uh, Dubai, and he's uh, uh, working with the government there on the construction of a beautiful new synagogue. Guys, Eli and Eli are both named Eli. First name makes it easy. Um, I'm getting schooled here by a uh, a listener who is saying that we've got it the other way around and is referring to uh, a, a genetic study uh, uh, on Y chromosomes among uh, Arab and Jewish men that was widely published. Uh, it was done in 1980 by a, um, a excuse me, in, in 2000 uh, by Professor Michael Hammer at the University of Arizona. You guys may be, may be aware of this. That actually shows that uh, that Arabs are the descendants of Jews. And uh, from a genetic perspective, there's over 70% uh, commonality in Y chromosomes, uh, Y chromosomal material, but that we're saying it the wrong way. We really should be saying, um, what, what should we be saying, I guess, then? Uh, then would it be a, uh, a Arab, let's say a Jewish Arab? <laughs> uh, so do we have it the wrong way? Which Do either of you have a, a grounding on the genetics here? Uh, Rabbi Abadi or, or Ali Sardar? Well, uh, uh, look, uh, we don't want to forget that the, the, the true Arabs are the descendants of Ishmael. Ishmael was the son of, of Abraham. Uh, Ishmael and, uh, and, and Isaac carried at least 25% genetic, uh, uh, genetic equal, equal genes because uh, they're the same father. Right, but they had two different mothers. So at least, in fact, up to fifty percent of the same genetic uh, genetic material between Jews and Arabs, given that the Jews come from Ishaq and Arabs come from Ishmael. They were the Arabs are Semites. We are Semites. We both. The, in fact, the term Arab. Some historians claim. But sorry for that the interruption, from, but sorry for the interruption, Rabbi. But just for you secular listeners, I, I was I was actually quoting. It is a real study. You can find it. Michael Hammer. H a m m e r as a, uh, a, a biologist, evolutionary biologist from the University of Arizona, widely widely published. So you, 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 Rabbi Abadi is giving us the biblical genetics, but it, uh, it, contempor- in contemporary genetics show that there's a, a massive overlap. And in, in fact, Arabs and Jews, as as Eli Sardar said earlier, are are cousins. Genetic. Yeah, I'm, I'm not bringing you biblical uh, genetic, but I'm trying to confirm to you that this study is, is uh, in a sense, is real to show that because historically and biblically we know that we are related. In fact, the term Arab, some historians say that comes from Eber, 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 who is the son of uh, of Shem, of Sem. And so Abraham was also the descendant of Eber, and that's why he was known as Abraham Ha'ivri. Uh, the, you know, the Hebrew Abraham. So Hebrew and Arab really is an exchange of a letter. And so, um, so the, we definitely have genetic, uh, genetic, uh, compatibility just due, due to that. Um, and the, so that's what it is. And of course, maybe the Moroccan, uh, Arabs, we don't have a similar genetic compatibility because most of the Moroccan, uh, Arabs are really Berbers. 
from southern, um, which, which was a tribe of an African tribe, and so, or, or, or even in North Africa, other other countries, or Iraq, for example. And so, yes, the genetic compatibility is there, and it's confirmed by history. Let's let's take a patient caller on line four. I think I know who this is. Line four, you're on the air. Is this Stan? You know it. How are you? I'm good. Nice to hear. Glad you're back home alive and well. Thank you. I hope that let, let's see you. You hit you hit hard, Stan. I, 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 <laughs> I haven't wait. said a what thing. I guy? just wanted to wish you back and to wish you know, glad you're home. <laughs> yeah, and happy pre. Now, now the devil will come out. <laughs> no, uh, to the to the rabbi who is in uh, the UAE or is he in Dubai? Which where is he? Uh, Dubai is one of the Emirates of the UAE. So he's no, no, Dubai. I know. Is he that where he is, or yes. is he at the UAE? Yeah, he's in Dubai. Okay. Uh, l- l- with all due respect, sir, Rabbi, let's be very, very cautious here, and it's, and it's a form of a question. Our history in the Middle East has been extremely destructive and to our people over 50 to 100 years. To come back and ask the Jews to now come back, and I understand what you're doing. I think in a minimalistic view, I think it's okay. But remember... They are our neighbors. The UAE has been doing business, by the way, with Israel for over 25 years. I know. I've, I've seen them, uh, businessmen there quietly doing business. But the idea to have Jews thinking to emigrate back, I know you're trying to build a synagogue. I think that's a reasonably good thing. But be very cautious because there are still neighbors who hate the Jews and don't want any Jews in the Middle East. And I understand what you're trying to do. I think it's pretty decent and good. But Stan, what's your so, question for the rabbi? The question is, uh, do you actually believe the long term you will see millions of Jews migrating to the Middle East? I think it would be um, go very cautiously in that regard. What do you think? What are the numbers going to be, Rabbi Abadi? Well, historically, we Jews... Uh, don't look too much uh, far into the distant future to decide if we're going to settle in a country or not. A country that opens up its doors, welcomes us, and gives us all gives us all what we need to live and survive and thrive as a Jewish community, we go. When Turkey accepted us as the Ottoman Empire 500 years ago, we did. When when England in the 1200 accepted the Jews, they left. Even though 60 years later they were expelled, and uh, then 60 years after that they were re-asked to come back, and the Jews returned to England. And so, unfortunately, our life in the diaspora, we go to any country that opens up its doors, welcomes us, embraces us, and we establish communities. And we let the future take its, take its course. I do see a uh, tremendous amount of Jewish uh, uh, families coming to the Gulf. Don't forget, America has been a very host country for the Jews. Uh, Western Europe has been a good host for the country of the Jews, even though throughout the last 2,000 years to history, there are too many pogroms, too many, too many persecution of Jews in, in Eastern and Western Europe. And so, uh, and yet, the Jews continue to live there. But now they're facing anti-Semitism in Europe and in, uh, and in the United States at an alarming, alarming rate. You know, Rabbi, have- in, in preparation for the show, I was reading about the expulsion of the remaining, the very few remaining Yemenite uh, Jews. It's such a beautiful uh, community, an ancient community, been there for thousands of years. But now with the country being in increasing turmoil, the remaining Jews there have, have been uh, off, have felt unsafe and have left. And, and uh, uh, many of them have been enticed to go to the Emirates. 
to the United, to the United Arab Emirates instead of to Europe or the or the U.S. Uh, and well, that, that was, no, well not, not just there were yeah yeah not just there were enticed the United Arab Emirates and I was involved in that rescue mission actually of the families of the last families of Yemen the United Arab Emirates government took upon itself to rescue those Jews, to go into Yemen, rescue them, uh, bring them in, establishing them, giving them homes, giving them stipends to live. Uh, and until now, they don't want to leave the United Arab Emirates, those Yemenite families, because they live well. The government is taking very good care of them. I was involved in and several of those families rescue. Good for you. That's that's beautiful. Eli Sardar, I know your family stuck around for a long time. They didn't leave Aleppo until 1991, even though you left some years earlier. And, you know, it, it, it feels to me like, a, I'm sorry if this is uh, crass, but I have Irish friends that have, you know, had, you know, been two, three generations outside of Ireland and then decide to, to move back at least part of the year, some permanently, because they feel this identity. And as you said, there's a, of course, there's a love of country there. Do you still feel that for Syria? Do you feel that love of country for Syria today? Yes, uh, I still feel uh, that... Uh you know, feeling of to go there to visit. But, you know, like I, I disagree with Rabbi Abadi. You know, it's you cannot build what's... It's like it's, this is a water, like they call it, uh, like water past the bridge already. It's We like to go there, but symbolically, okay, it's nice to build few community there. But you cannot get a million people to go back. Is they already went? They already settled in uh, mostly in Israel. They settle, and uh, and the rest of the world. So uh, the only good things, something wrong done to these communities. We just need first of all, we need an apology from those governments because they did wrong to us. That's the point. We don't need any reparation, but we need apology because they have to really because these fix, countries expel fix something. Their Jewish communities yeah. in the 1950s. Like they they expel it in a very Bad way, you know. Everybody suffer. Everybody left. He was refugees for years. Even now, I still feel myself. I'm like refugees. Even after I built my life here. So to tell me to go back to Syria and build my life, no, it's not going to happen. But I'm going to go there. I love to go there. Mm-hmm. I love to visit. I like. I, I love even to help there because now they they suffer also a lot of there. I feel their pain. You know, but you, if, we can't go there. Realistic. You cannot go there back to live. When you're talking about that expulsion, sorry for the interruption, I I, I know you have some very intense personal stories about that. And I understand there was like a special police unit that was dedicated to expelling the Jews. I have that that right. What was that expulsion experience like from Syria when your family was kicked out? It starts, you know, actually with 1947, before I born. I born 1958. So I heard a lot of stories how people, uh, even I have some families also, they left. They had a lot of pressure because they... Everybody turned against them. They burned their houses. They burned their business. They, they, they cannot, you cannot live there. So that's why they, they left. And even after that, we, when, uh, when I been there, it's special, uh, unit, like you said, they monitor us day, every minute where we go. Even we can't go from town to town. If you go and go out of your town, 10 minutes, 15 minutes out of the town, you have to take special permit. Yeah. It's a lot of uh, things, but so that's why it's actually impossible to go back and live there. But we want to go there as, 
you know, to visit our uh, yeah. birthplace. And I to, think to, it's fair to also. To feel with them, because to help them even. Now, because yeah. they need, I, I feel now we are in position even to help them. And, to, and, and I liked Stan's question. I also think it's fair to acknowledge, I feel this with my family as well, because on my dad's side, we were in Colombia for, for a number of generations, and I have a very conflicted relationship. Like, I love Colombia, but I also feel, in certain respects, for different reasons, betrayed by Colombia. And I'm sure you feel that way with this is, Syria. This is more, yeah. more betrayed. This is, <laughs> well, this is like the ultimate betrayal, yeah. because we've been there and for thousands of years before that, even the Arab there, right, and right, then they right. spelled us in a very brutal way. And that conflicted so, relationship, that's it's like family. That's so, real. I mean, you can have, you can love a place and hate yeah, a place. Exactly. You can, you can, that, that's I actually. I don't hate the place, but I hate what happened to us. Yeah. So what we need, like I said, we don't need the reparation, but we need an apology. We need to acknowledge the, the, all the government of the Arabs, like they have, like, uh, they have to issue an apology for what happened to us. They did something wrong and it, actually it hurt them more than it hurt us. Yeah, because I, I want to just – sorry for the interruption. I just, we're going to need to go to our last break. And, and in your, you bring this issue of apology and, and reconciliation and how that happens. And I thought this was really interesting. I want to just read a part of a comment of a listener who, who wrote in. Um, this uh, this is uh, – listener's David. I don't have a last name for, for you, David. I apologize. Um, writing that, that when we talked about the concept of Arab – Arab Jew, we should be aware that this concept actually can be powerful as a, hold on, I lost my place here, um, uh, can be a powerful way to reclaim identity. Uh, that Golda Meir, uh, in her, uh, in her administration actually referred, used the term Arab Jew as a means of reclaiming, uh, identity. And so I think while there is a lot of uh, there's a lot of literature out there about, in fact, I was reading a Jerusalem Post opinion article just from a few weeks ago about how, you know, saying Arab Jew is, is, is incorrect historically, um, and it's, a, it's, it's effectively a derogatory, uh, term because, the, you know, Jews are completely separate, both ethnically and, and of course religiously. But it, but it can be seen as the opposite, really, because you did have, uh, thousands of years of cohabitation and, and assimilation. We're going to be back on equal footing. We're here with activist Eli Sardar, Rabbi, Rabbi, I keep saying Rabbi, sorry, mm-hmm. Rabbi, I have mush mouth tonight, Rabbi Eli Abadi, who's in Dubai. Rabbi, you must have more mush mouth than me because it's almost four in the morning there. <laughs> so bravo to you. We'll be right back for our last segment on equal footing. <laughs> על כל כישרונותיי ועל כל שיראי את כולם אקדיש לך דה לך דה לך שמודה אני לך uh, what a, a beautiful version of uh, Modani by Omer Adam, the great, great artist. And actually, the music was selected uh, earlier in the show by our wonderful producer. Uh, it was uh, Nisrahi Jewish music. Uh, we always try to tie in the music to the topic of the night. So Equal Footing is graciously also brought to you by Mechanical Art Capital. We've talked about Mechanical Art Capital before. Provides really easy cash financing for watch collectors and watch dealers from anywhere in the world. Mechanical Art Capital, or MAC, is based here in New York, but it can be accessed, as I said, from anywhere in the world, and it helps you unlock the cash value of your timepiece collection or inventory through Mac's simple buyback contracts. You can download the Mechanical Art Capital app on your smartphone, on Android, or an iPhone. 
It's Mechanical Art Capital, three separate words, or you can go to mechanicalartcapital.com, get more information. You can also call 833-209-0972. That's 833-209-0972 to get easy financing at reasonable rates on your timepiece inventory or collection. Use that cash for something else. Don't let it just sit fallow uh, in your safe or on the shelf. Call Mechanical Art Capital, 833-209-0972, or download the Mechanical Art Capital app on your smartphone. I've been Back on equal footing, we're talking about the OGs of the diaspora, the Mizrahi Jewish community, the Arab Jewish community, the Jewish community from North Africa, Middle East, and the Gulf region. Rabbi Abadi, sitting in Dubai, apropos to tonight's uh, subject, what do you think, uh, as someone who's descendant, uh, let me ask the question this way, and this is an amalgam of my own question and a couple of uh, notes that have come in from listeners. We obviously, as as Jews, value Jewish education. Do you think that folks that are from uh, Mizrahi Jewish descent should also get an education on Arabic culture or even learn Arabic if they're living in the diaspora? Well, uh, I think all Jews should learn about Arabic culture and Arabic language. Given that Arabic surrounds the state of Israel, and given that a significant population of Arabs lives in Israel and their language in Arabic, all Jews, Mizrahi, Sephardi, Ashkenazi Jews, should learn should learn Arabic. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I have been a president of an organization called Justice for Jews from Arab Countries that was established 20 years ago exactly to bring the knowledge that over a million Jews were persecuted and expelled from 10 Arab countries at the heel of the establishment of the State of Israel. Uh, however, however, we're not just asking for apologies. We are asking for, for reparation. We are asking for return of all of our uh, civic and cultural centers and uh, and reparation of them. Of course we are. That has nothing to do with this. But we Jews have always returned sometimes to countries that have expelled us because they re-embraced us. As I said, in the 13th century, Jews returned to England after being expelled twice. Jews after World War II have returned to Germany and established a beautiful Jewish community, or in mm-hmm. Poland, beautiful mm-hmm. Jewish community, even in the Ukraine. The which resilience was of the diaspora is one of the most beautiful things about it. It's always like that. And yeah. so returning to an Arab country, and if they are welcoming us, of course, we're not going to expect all the Jews to come in here. But they will look, half of the Jewish population in the world still lives outside Israel. And many of them have chosen other countries to be their country of origin. I will not stop any Jew who decides to make Aliyah and go to Israel and live there. That's fine. But that the, the Gulf and other Arab countries will become an alternative for Jews to live, to thrive, to grow the Jewish community, that is a fact that it's going to happen. And the strongest and the better Jewish communities in Arab countries, it will change. It will change the landscape of the Arab countries in the Middle East and their relationship with Israel. Amen. And that could, that could be a great um, catalyst for, for peace when it's at the street. 
level. Correct. I love getting Can I corre- add something? Yeah, one, one thing before we go to you, Ellie Sardar. I love being corrected by listeners, and I had said earlier in the show, based on my research, that the term Arab Jews um, actually were, it was used in the early 19th century um, in the context of the Arab nationalist movement against the Ottoman Empire, elements of the Ottoman Empire. Uh, Miriam wants to correct me that she says the term Arab Jews was actually used for the first time during the First World War by Jews of Middle Eastern origin living in certain Western countries to make sure that they, do, they were distinguished from Turks and there should not, therefore should not be treated as enemy aliens. So, Miriam, thank you. I'm not sure which version is correct, but I appreciate you giving me a different, uh, different narrative. That's part of what the show is about. Eli Sardar, sorry, I interrupted yeah. you. Yeah, you know, like the rabbi said, you know, it's very nice to learn Arab culture and stuff, which is really actually what I did, you know, since I was young. But also the Arabs also should learn our culture because we've been there, we've been there like sidelined. Why? We are part of their, of this region. So to, to make this, to make things correct, to fix what's, ha- what's wrong happened in the history, we have to interact together. We, they have to know us. They have to know our opinion, our suffering. So this way we could build. I'm not looking to the back, you know, with this genetic or not genetic. You know, in the future, we have the same future. We live in the same area. We have the same future. If we don't fix it now, we, we cannot, we can't, we can't go to the future. That's why now the Arabs, they start to realize really it's not like because they love Jews or not. It's like they're correcting what's wrong in the history. We're going to run out of time. But I'll, I wanted, I'll, I'll tell you. Go, I'll tell go you ahead, Rabbi. Many, one last question yeah. for you guys. Right. Many, many Arabs here in the Gulf are coming to me to learn more about Jews, more about Judaism, more about Israel. They have a thirst of knowledge, and they feel so sorry that they lost 70 years of that. That's the right And step. they all want to learn more about that. It's their loss when, we, when they expelled us. It's their loss more than ours, Correct. even we suffered. Correct. Correct. They understand yeah. that. Believe now, now they still understand. Correct. Yeah. I want to, uh, as we close, I want to bring it back to the North American context for a moment because, you know, we're based in New York. We have a lot of listeners in, in New York. And in New York, the dominant Jewish identity is, is Ashkenazi. And for non-Jews, they would, you know, probably, you know, ethnographically typecast, uh, the, the your average Jew as, as Ashkenazi, uh, uh, light-skinned, Eastern European, et cetera. I want to go to both of you, and you really we just have a minute each. But I want you to kind of put on your Misrahi or Sephardic Jewish pride for a sec. And let's start with you here in the studio, Ellie. Tell listeners why uh, Misrahi Jews are the OGs. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, because, you know, kind you know, it's funny things like, you know, we've been uh, prosecuted in our countries, and when we come here, also kind of double victim, <laughs> victimization. You know, now also here we, we're facing kind of discrimination, kind of anti-Semitism, uh, kind of, uh, you know, this is like, you know, wherever we go, we get uh, this discrimination. We are, anyway, in general, the whole uh, Jewish, even Ashkenaz or Sfarad, in the end, they are one nation. But we are one nation from different uh Background: We have black Jews, we have Sephardic Jews, what you call it, Mizrahi, which is the same, and a lot of backgrounds. So we all the same. When the, any discrimination against any Jewish, even us, we feel it more. Or even the, against the Ashkenazim, it hurts all of us. Rabbi Abadi, give us, give us a fi- thank you, Ellie. Give us a final word, just just uh, twenty seconds. Well, point, a point of pride on. I, uh, 
you, I imagine I imagine OJ means other Jews, no, right? OG, OG, original gangster. <laughs> oh, original gangster. Okay, well, I, I was going to say other Jews. If anything, you can only call the Ashkenazim as other Jews. The uh, Sephardic Middle Eastern Jews are the original Jews that the, they have the OGs, kept yeah. in touch for 2,000 years. For 2,000 years, they had a continuous contact with all the Jewish communities in the Middle East. And much less fragmentation Jews, also in terms absolutely, of... Yeah. Absolutely. We're, we're going to be out of time. Uh, sorry, okay. Rabbi Abadi, thank you so much for being on from Dubai. Eli Sarder, thank you for joining us here in the studio. It's been great. I'm Dove Tuzman signing off here on Equal Footing. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.